0: to color me dead this is a true crime podcast and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor
1: if you don't like words like fuck and cunt then you probably shouldn't listen but if you do then join us while we fuck your feelings welcome everybody welcome to episode 114 survivors i'm pretty sure it's survivors part six I, I, I threw a bone i guessed
0: i'm not sure. I know. But we are doing Survivor Stories. Now, if we did not share your Survivor Story today, it doesn't mean that we won't in the future. Um, unfortunately, last year, while Angel was um, treading water.
1: In a state. I don't even know what to call it. In a state.
0: Uh, a lot of emails were read and then, like, filed. And we need to go back through them.
1: We have yeah, we have a lot and we keep getting them. So keep sending them. Yes. We please. just have a lot to file through. We might need to start doing them every three months again like we were Yeah.
0: Or uh, like every other month.
1: Yeah. So please continue
0: to send those to Color Me Dead podcast at gmail.com. If you guys want to check out ageofradio.org slash color me dead, you can check out our shows. You can check out shows with the
1: Syndicate. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word either. I was just going to stare at you for a second. Oh, God. Check out the shows on the Syndicate. You can shop the bazaar. Great time. It's a very great time. Go do it. But if you want to get some merch with our shits on it, you go to colormedeadpod.threadless.com. And we got a good shout out the other day for their... The other customer, customer service. service. Yay. Which is badass. Like, I got a hoodie that had a hole in it once. And I said, hey, this hoodie has a hole in it. And they were like, oh, we'll send you a new one. And they sent me a new one. I didn't have to send the old one back. They just sent me a new one. It was there within days. I was like, shit, thanks. That was pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Super awesome. Uh, also, if you guys want to donate to our Patreon, you can do that at Age of Age of Radio. Or you can go check out our Patreon and thank you very much to our examinators, Melissa Morgan, Sharon Hoffman, and Samantha Vuan. It's
1: nice to have you back, Samantha Vuan. Samantha Vuan. And while we're here, we want to give a big S shout out to Wacky Wearables. Okay. They have masks that are pretty, like, I can't even talk. I'm all excited about it. I got my son a Michael Myers mask and it's like the 2018 one. He's got a slash in his cheek and they have all kinds. They have a good Pennywise one. They have a Rob Zombie one that I've been eyeballing for a long time. They have this, what do you call that glowy stuff? Glow in the dark stuff. He sent, he sent us some, a box full of fun shit and there's some glasses like LED light up glasses that he sent for my kids And he sent Angel's kids some LED gloves and some LED uh, cups. And he sent us some purge masks that light up. I'm going to post pictures of all this shit. Go check them out, please. Look at them if you need masks for anything, because the masks are amazing. It's wackywearables.net.
0: If you guys want to check us out on social media, you can find us on Twitter. Twitter is Pod. Check us out Facebook, Color Me Dead Podcast, or Color Me Dead Podcast Group. If you'd like to find us on Instagram, Color Me Dead Podcast. Also, Gory underscore Nikki, and Color Me Dead Angel. Uh, If you guys want to send us packages
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and fan mail, it goes to P.O. Box 1610, Vernal, Utah 84078.
1: We should give a big thanks to Jennifer Watson again, too. Yeah, I'm very excited. I got grapefruit sodas i got what else what else i got a fuck you button what else i still haven't posted the pictures of her shit i got a shut the fuck up light what else i love that light i got a shark what else what else i got a harry potter color book and joke book what else we should turn off the light and take a picture of that um to post yeah we should I just keep forgetting to post her shit. So I thank you guys
0: good. so much for everything you do when when you send us these fun little things. Um Nikki held my soda hostage much longer than she rightfully should have because she's a dick.
1: So what had happened she's a piece was of asshole. I'm a piece of asshole. What had happened was is that it came the day so we were recording one day. we had a break and then it came after. And then she came back the next day to record, and I left it in my living room in a box so that I wouldn't forget to give it to her. She not gave me my soda. I did not give it. I forgot when she left and I went and sat down, I was like, I need to take care of that box. I was like, fuck. (laughs) That's why I left it in the middle of the living room, so I'd remember to give it to you. But I did not. So today I set it by the front door, so we had to trip over the shit so I wouldn't forget. So only a week late. No big deal. What else? What else? <laughs> um, so, you ready? i like to ready. Here you go. Here you go. All right. This is an email. I kept everybody anonymous this time. I'm just going to read it word for word from our listener. It says, Hi, Gory Gals. I've been listening to your podcast for the last few months, and I absolutely love it. You guys are amazing and hilarious. I know you have done survivor stories in the past. I don't know if you still do those. Even if you don't, I would like to share it with you guys if you don't mind. I would like to stay anonymous because there are certain members of my family that would be hurt by this. I love my family more than anything in this world. My family is very close. My family was rocked by the passing of my paternal grandfather in 2006. He was an amazing person who taught me how to fish and drive. My family rallied behind my grandmother and spent a lot of time with her. A year later, on the anniversary of my grandfather's death, um, she brought her parents to town. My grandmother, mother, and two younger sisters had to go to the store. I stayed with my great-grandparents. I was sitting on the couch with my great-grandfather. My great-grandmother was on the couch in the same room, passed out when he started touching me. I blocked out a lot of what happened because I was 15 years old and I couldn't believe that it was happening to me. I don't remember what made him stop. I remember him saying, I probably should stop. He got up and walked away. I ran. I ran and grabbed the house phone and called my dad. I begged him to come and get me. He was annoyed because he thought I was being dramatic. I began sobbing uncontrollably and he immediately hung up. He arrived moments later and found me clutching the phone, still sobbing. He quietly asked what was wrong. I told him some of it, but not all of it. I didn't want to get anyone in trouble. He knew I wasn't saying it all. He told me to get in the truck. He took the phone from me and went inside. He told them I wasn't feeling well. My dad was angry, but he wanted to get me out of there. He took me home. My dad scooped me up and put me in uh, my parents' bed. He turned on keeping up the Kardashians and brought me chips. He called my mom and told her to come home. My mom questioned me. I wouldn't really talk about it. I told her enough that she was devastated. She asked what I wanted to do. I said I just wanted to forget. She supported me unconditionally. She did the best she could with the hand she'd been dealt. I suppressed it. Not healthy. Do not recommend. I didn't tell anyone what happened to me. I moved on with life until about two years later when my grandmother wanted to go to Thanksgiving with her family. I panicked. I didn't want to go. My mom and dad couldn't find a good enough reason not to go. I feel like I know a good enough reason not to go. So I had to go. Sorry, that was just me interjecting my own thoughts for a second. My dad and mom always put themselves between me and him. They never let me be alone. My great-grandfather couldn't even speak to me. My parents wouldn't let him. My parents said that I never had to see him again, and I didn't until he died. I attended his funeral, and I felt, for the first time, relief. I felt guilty for being that way. My life went on. I didn't really face what happened to me. I told a a boyfriend what happened to me, and he made me feel disgusting. I wasn't worth anything. He didn't last long. When I was a junior in high school, I had a boyfriend who had a very troubled childhood. He was so sweet and kind, and he was a foster kid. He was placed in a home right before Thanksgiving, so I invited him to my family's. He was overly sexual about everything. He just wanted to make out all the time, and soon that wasn't enough. He whipped out his dick constantly and demanded hand jobs. Oh. Yeah. Oh, God. He was trying to get in my pants all the time. It escalated when he didn't get what he wanted. We were alone in his house, and out came his dick. He demanded I suck his dick, Mind you, he did all this knowing my trauma and abuse. I said no, and I ran. He chased me, grabbed me by the hair, and he pulled me back into the ground Mm-mm. and was on top of me so fast that I couldn't process what was happening. His knees were on my shoulder and his, his dick was in my face. He tried shoving it in my mouth. I clamped my teeth together and, he, and headbutted his junk as hard as I could. He fell away and I ran. I got in my truck and drove away. He tried calling a million times and I wouldn't answer. I told no one what happened. I broke up with him the next day. Listen, that uh, is a ballsy you dude.
0: Better pray to Jesus. You don't ever shove anything in, on, or around my motherfucking face. I will bite that. I will bite shit. the shit out of you.
1: You want your dick in my mouth? Here we go. Oh, <laughs> you- wish granted. Yep. Well, it's oh got my teeth God. marks in it if it's still there. Um, which we can say, but I also know that when it's the situation, you think differently. This is a vicious cycle that kept happening to me. Every boy I had a relationship with was emotionally and mentally abusive and or extremely sexually aggressive. It all built up to a crescendo of fuckery. I was 20 years old and I had a huge six foot five boyfriend and I am a tiny five foot three petite thing. He was really sweet and took his time to get to know me before six. I thought I finally had broke the cycle. Spoiler alert, I didn't. This is a front for what would come later. He would say passive-aggressive things about how damaged I was. He had a crazy ex-girlfriend, quote, finger quote, finger crazy. Quotes. Aren't we all crazy ex-girlfriends? Just saying. Mm-hmm. Who out of the blue texted me and said that he was lying about being single. That I needed to back the fuck off her man. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, sh- <laughs> you when- just sounded like the cat in the hat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When confronted, he said that she was crazy and can't get over him, like they all say. All right. He would make me pay for everything. I was working a part-time job at J.C. JCPenney, and he didn't work and lived with his parents. He's 25. We used to go everywhere. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We used my car to go everywhere. One time when we were having sex, I told him to put on a condom. He refused. He also forced me to have sex with him several times unprotected. I didn't think it was rape because he was my boyfriend. He paid for one date and that was to see a movie. After the date, we went to the, back to his parents' house. He couldn't find his phone. He was freaking the fuck out. I'm helping him look. He went downstairs and I called his phone trying to find it. I heard it vibrating. I found it. And up pops a text from his finger quote crazy ex-girlfriend saying, I love you too, babe. Let me know when you're done with that side piece of yours. My heart dropped. I couldn't believe I had fallen into this again. Another man who doesn't respect or love me. He came up the stairs. I saw, oh, he saw the phone in my hand and the look on my face. He came across the room and took the phone. He saw the message. His face changed and it was like a fucking demon took over his face. He started yelling and screaming at me. I couldn't understand a word he said. Then a fist hit my head. I fell to the ground and another fist hit my side. I curled up in a ball and waited for the next hit. It never came. His 15-year-old nephew, who was just as big as him and a football star, comes up the stairs. He had tackled him to the ground and punched him in the face. He got off him and picked me up and carried me out to my car. "'and placed me in the passenger seat. "'He took me home and had a friend pick him up. "'The only thing he said to me was, "'Don't come back, please.' "'I nodded and went inside. "'I cried myself to sleep. "'I spiraled after that. "'I couldn't function like a normal person. "'I was sick all the time, nauseous. "'I was kicked out of where I was living "'and had to go back to my hometown "'and live with my parents. "'My mom, after watching me be sick for a few days, "'knew what was wrong. "'I took a pregnancy test and it came back positive.' I made the choice to keep the baby, and I tried talking to my ex about being in the baby's life, and he called me a whore. (sighs) I know that story. Mm. He went on to say that it wasn't his. you also know that story. I'm happy to say that I went on to have a beautiful baby girl on my 21st birthday. My best friend since sixth grade had been helping me throughout my pregnancy. He told me he loved me and that he wanted to help me raise my baby. He wanted to marry me. He put a ring on it. He has been an an amazing father to my daughter and has never treated her as anything but his own. We have been married for five years and have three beautiful baby girls. I have sought help I needed to deal with my trauma and I'm in a healthier place. I wanted to tell my story. I want others to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope and help if you seek it. Thanks for the chance to share my story. Be a badass bitch and stay out of chalk lines. I like this story because of the end where she got the help she needed and she's trying to reach out to other people to get help. Because I started therapy not that long ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And holy shit, it makes a difference. Like, I don't even, I can't even explain it. It makes a lot of difference to work through. So much difference? A lot. A whole shit ton. All the shit All of the differences. Even if it's not things you thought you had to work through, I have found, (laughs) apparently, you had to work through it. Okay.
0: All right, guys. We're moving into the second story. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready. You
0: like to hit? Hit go. Uh, It says... Hello, lovely ladies. First of all, I wanted to say how much I love you guys. We love you, too. We love you. I'm only on episode 47 right now, but I've been binge-listened for the last couple of weeks. You remind me so much of my... You two remind me so much of my best friend, and I think that's why I like listening to you it's like listening to the two of us on a podcast. I never considered myself a survivor until I started listening to the Survivor Story episodes. To, give me, to be completely honest, I still don't know. But my story coincides with the others, and I never shared it in its entirety. Also, disclaimer, it's going to be long, so I apologize. That's it, right. All right. Anywho. <laughs> Anytime I hear the word anywho... It reminds me of Cruel Intentions. Anywho, (laughs) parts invited me to the Hamptons for the weekends. I
1: love that movie. Me too. That was
0: cool. (laughs) I knew this person who I will refer to as Twatch Waffle because he doesn't deserve his real name for a very long time. I went, I went away to college and he was still in his senior year of high school. I came home from Christmas break, came home for Christmas break, And we wound up going to coffee together. He was athletic, dark hair, blue-eyed, southern boy. And the attraction was very obvious very quickly. Well, dark hair, light eyes, you fucked up right there, man. Uh, Every time. time. Yep. God damn
1: it. Oh, shit. I was going to say, stay away from them. I got one right now.
0: See? Dumbass. Oops. See? Dumbass.
1: Fuck. Fuck. Meh. I'm sorry. We're going to have to end this. Um, listen, you fit the profile of... <laughs> you got um big arms, dark hair, blue eyes. light. Well, his aren't blue; His are light. Hazel. I'm sorry. This means you're crazy. You've got to go. Bye. Bye.
0: Um. Let's see. Back. Okay. We spent quite a bit of time together over the break, and he confided in me that his picture-perfect parents were actually getting a divorce, and he was quite devastated about this. Toward the end of the break, he actually called me at 11 o'clock one night, saying that he was in the middle of the woods and had a gun. He was going to end his life. Looking back, red flag number one. I spent hours on the phone convincing him not to. After that, I felt responsible for his well-being. I was the only person who knew about his parents' divorce. The only person who knew he was thinking about committing suicide. The only person that could help him through this. Oblivious much? Young me? Um, not really. You know? Because, well, here's what I'm saying is like, do people, um, people that really do want to hurt themselves and people that really do intend to kill themselves, a lot of people don't fucking share that shit with other people.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I think people who reach out for help are likely to do it but they're also asking you people that actually want to succeed they're not going to fucking tell very many people if any at all the other thing about divorce is some people have very public loud obnoxious fucking tumultuous divorces not everybody does that i happen to know people that like get fucking divorced and like nobody fucking knows okay specifically i have a friend and her husband that divorced so quietly i knew they were separated they divorced so quietly motherfucker moved three states away and i didn't know damn i just think it's funny sometimes like i i really didn't know and these are people that i'm quite good friends with yeah I don't spend as much time with them as I used to just because I kind of keep to myself now. Right. Um, the only person I really see like out of my
1: friends is you. Yeah. And that's okay. You are the only person I see unless I run into somebody on accident. Right. But I don't, I don't make it a point to like
0: go and be Mm -mm. and see and do, you know what I mean? But a lot of people don't have very public divorces. Mm -mm. Okay. That was, that was my explanation or not my explanation, my example. Like, those motherfuckers separated, got divorced, and he left the state. And I i just found out, like, um, in August, and it's been, shit, six months Damn. or longer. So, was it a big red flag? Nah, probably not. The Like, you look at it now, and you're like, oh, my God, huge red flag really wasn't
1: when you're going through it like you the red flags don't pop up well and i wouldn't really call that a red
0: flag like you if you were the only person that thought about him committing or knew about him committing suicide or thinking about it that's not that big of a red flag Mm -mm. like sometimes people find that one person that they feel comfortable with and that person that they connect with and they tell you all their secrets go back and look at conrad roy how many people really knew that he was suicidal michelle yeah that's it the, rela- the relationship grew and he was accepted to the same college I was attending for the next year. The first summer together was perfection. He bought me flowers for no reason. He took me out to dinner at least once a week. He met and loved my family and they loved him back. And this went on vice versa with me and his family. There was n- there were no more red flags and no more incidents that summer. Fast forward to us moving to college. I had already been there for a year, so I had a lot of friends from classes and was playing intramural sports. I was ecstatic that he was there with me. I was in love with him and so, so excited to introduce him to my friends. So she was a kinesiology. No, I'm just kidding. Kinesiology. Kinesiology. Kinesiology major. Okay. So I was a complete gym rat and a lot of my friends were male. Perfect for him to have people there, right? Wrong. The very first night of college together, there were there was a welcome party at the cafeteria. A guy who had been in some of the same classes the past year came up to me and asked me if I had any textbooks from the last year that I would be willing to sell him. I said I would look through them and let him know. I said, oh, by the way, this is my boyfriend, Twatwaffle. <laughs> they shook hands and said hi, and then my friend walked away. As soon as he walked away, Twatwaffle, twa, Twat now your name's Twaffle. <laughs> Looked at me and said, what the fuck was that? I was obviously very confused because he had heard the full exchange. He proceeded to tell me how rude and offensive it was that a male could come right up to me and just start a conversation while Twaffle was sitting right next to me. I was then instructed that I would not be selling him any of my textbooks and that I would never have contact with him again. Hello, red flag number two. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I'll give you that one. Yep.
0: That's control. Can Like, that's control tactic. Big time.
1: 101.
0: Yeah. You don't, you don't fucking tell. Dude, still to this day, if my husband came to me and said, I don't want you interacting with this human being for these reasons, unless it was legitimate shit, I
1: would be like, eh, we'll see. Right. We'll fucking see. And yeah, I just leave the conversations open. Like make sure, you know, you can see who I'm talking to. You know who I'm talking to. You know what we're saying.
0: We'll see. Now, if it was a, a legitimate, like, hey, this person continually hits on you, this person like obviously has the law laws for you. You stop talking to this person until they like back the fuck up. And even then, like, my husband would never do that. A, we're married. He knows I only have eyes for him. Do I look at other dudes? And I'm like, well, that's fun to look at. Yeah, but so does he.
1: Yeah, um, we all do.
0: But like, if a if, like if a dude was like persistent, uh, and I wasn't. I was just like, "Eh," I would have ended that well before my husband asked me to. And my husband's not going to say shit. He's going to punch you right in the fucking mouth when he sees you. Just saying.
1: Mine. Mine. Hold mine. I really want him to learn how to hiss. Who? Spencer. Wouldn't it be hilarious if he was just like...
0: Just like out of nowhere he walks by and fucking hisses at somebody? That would be
1: scarier than anything he could ever do.
0: Well, perhaps.
1: I was a very, very... Active in athletics and
0: clubs. Well, listen, you fucking overachiever, right? Just kidding. I'm I'm only <laughs> jealous because I was not very athletic. Actually, I was. I just wasn't in clubs and shit. Okay, this isn't about me. It's not about me. Stop trying to make it about yourself. Fuck. None for Gretchen Wieners. None. I was very, very. A- God damn it, Angel. <clears throat> it's not always about you, you fat shit. i just
1: about to spit my coffee. <laughs>
0: I was very, very active in athletics and clubs my first year and was looking forward to doing just as much my second year intramural, why intramural sports season. Okay, now put it all together like you fucking know how to read intramural (laughs) sports season came up and my old team was excited to get me back together because you fell apart Um, back at the ranch. My old team was so excited to get back together. I told Twaffle and he wasn't very excited because if I played all the sports I wanted to, it would be five nights a week. So he, finger quotes gave me permission.
1: Don't you love that?
0: I'm sorry. The fuck did you just say?
1: Mm-hmm. Gave me
0: permission to play only one sport. I chose volleyball because that's my shit. Bitch, fucking find me. Let's play. Do you know what's funny?
1: Uh, not funny. It wasn't that, but it was when I was married the first time, because mm-hmm. I'm a chronic marrier. Um, I, it was he was the same way. Like he didn't let me do anything. Like like I literally had to ask him to go to the store, and he allowed me to play city league volleyball that year. I think I got to play for like two years in a row. I'd been playing city league volleyball since for quite some time. I was gonna say. Yeah, and he allowed me to play oh, that no. year. I was allowed to go up to the games without him at night. I think you watched one.
0: I'm going to stop speaking to you
1: right now. <laughs> it's weird that it was volleyball on both occasions. I,
0: dude, it's volleyball is my shit. I love volleyball. Um, We actually play at the center. Do you really? Mm-hmm. I, I We have volunteers that come in on Wednesday night to play. And then um, I actually will get in there and and play with the kids, especially if we have, like, plenty of kids. It's awesome, dude. I get the, like, so gym time, which they call spark time, is usually given to me if I'm on that shift. And I've done yoga, like, hardcore yoga, Mm -hmm. like the beach body, those fucking bitches. Yoga. But, like, instead of just, like... Let's play horse or badminton. I'm like, no, we're working out.
1: We're going to play some
0: volleyball. I'm fat and I'm ashamed of myself, so we are working out. I played city league volleyball from like fifth
1: grade all the way up. All the way up. I played it mostly when I was older, like 15, 16, 17, until I was 20 something.
0: I didn't play like after graduation. I didn't play because I worked up um on the mountain resort and then like after that I was too busy getting high. So well sorry that puts
1: a damper on shit.
0: Well and I probably would have been exponentially fast.
1: <laughs> I'd have been the best volleyball player ever. With the myth. With the myth all the myth. Yay meth! You like the balls moving in slow motion. You're like hammy with the energy drink. The balls moving in slow motion. Right. And you're like
0: <laughs> Right? <laughs> So he gave me permission to play only one sport. That fucking blows my mind um. and didn't even think about him limiting me. He just wanted to spend more time with me. All was good until the first night of volleyball. Twaffle came with me and that is when he discovered that it was co-ed. I looked over and could tell something was wrong, but kept playing. A few minutes later, he actually left. I went to his dorm room afterwards to see what was, what had happened. And he was so upset That's when he lost it. He grabbed me by my arms and shook me and asked asking what in my small brain made me think it was okay to be on the same team as other males.
1: Are we fucking on the court? Did I miss something? Did I bend over and get railed from behind while during the game? I don't know. Is it an orgy?
0: I told him. I told him he was way more well he was more than welcome to come to every single game. I told him I would go with him and leave with him directly after the game. I wasn't giving up my one night of volleyball and the guys on the team were nothing more than friends. That's when that that was the first time he left Mark's once every week i would go to play volleyball in sleeves because of the bruises on my arms from him grabbing me and asking me if playing volleyball was worth it it was it was my escape from him for two hours every week and that wasn't my thought process at the time fall in my college is college town is warm like 80 degrees or so but i was always in long sleeves to cover the bruises i brushed off my friend's comments telling them they knew i was always cold I think there was I think they knew there was more going on but they never pressed the issue red flag number three the abuse continued and eventually escalated one night we were going out to dinner and as we were walking to the car a male classmate walked by and did the little head nod to me and I did it back Twaffle was holding my hand at the time and he squeezed my hand hard enough to make me say ouch I yanked my arm he yanked my arm and marched me to his dorm like a mother would with a child that was in trouble once we got there he head butted me
1: Jesus Christ.
0: He asked me what was wrong with me and that... <clears throat> and... Uh, he asked me what was wrong with me that I thought it was okay to acknowledge another man while he was holding my hand. I was crying and apologizing profusely. I told him it would never happen again. And he said he would never headbutt me again. He lost his temper. That was a lie. Red flag number four. You better hope to Jesus you knocked me out if you headbutt me.
1: Damn.
0: That's fucking rough, dude. I'm sorry. Time went on. Oof. Time went on, and I was at the point that I would look at nowhere but the ground when we... Oh, man. This this super Aww. sounds fucking familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Hi, Nikki? Is that you? Not me. <laughs> Time went on, and I was at the point I would look nowhere but the ground when it, whether he was with me or not. When I was with him, I was to hold his hand at all times and walk one step behind him. I was told to go to class and come straight back to his dorm room, even if he wasn't there. He would tell his newfound friends that he had had me trained. They thought he was joking. He was not. My birthday came around, and my old group of friends had planned a surprise party for me. They invited people that had transferred schools and everything. One guy actually drove four hours to be there for my party. My best friend called me and said, you should come over to my house for some drinks. Twuffle said no. Weird. Oh, funny how that works.
1: I was shocked. That answer shocked me.
0: Ugh. I explained to Twatwaffle and he flipped out because I told him a male friend had driven out four hours to be there. He pinned me down on the bed, slapped me across the face, and slammed the palm of his hand into my forehead. I wasn't allowed to go to my own birthday party. Big red flag number five. Uh-huh. Mm. I don't like it. This guy's a real fucker. Yeah,
1: he is. I
0: wasn't allowed to go to my own party. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, geez. Oh, God right this all continued he always made sure to hit me where i could cover the marks i had no friends left other than him every time i every time i told him i was thinking about leaving he would tell me exactly what exactly how he was going to kill himself the sexual abuse was there too he would even force me to have sex with him whenever he wanted even if I didn't want to and said so, and it was, however, whenever, and wherever he wanted. He took me to his dad's place in another state for spring break, so I wouldn't be away from him, even though I had begged for him to let me go see my family, and I hadn't seen them in month. Red flag number, I don't know, 100? The final straw was at the end of the first semester of college together. He had acid reflux and we were at my house. I was out out of antacids and he was beyond pissed because I didn't have them when I knew it was an issue. I apologized and said I would go to the store. As I was walking to the door of my bedroom he got mad because he got mad that I was leaving in the middle of a conversation. He grabbed me from behind and threw me across the room. My head hit the wall and I was knocked unconscious. I have no idea how long I was out but when I came Came to lying on the floor, I could hear him on the phone with his dad. He was laying on my bed, literally talking about the weather with his father. He didn't even and he didn't even acknowledge when I woke up. I just stood up, got into bed with him and laid there. When I was planning that's when I started planning my escape. He was transferring to another state after a semester. I had applied And told him I was going to go with him. I said I was only going to spend the first two weeks of my break packing and then head his way. Of course, my plan was to never see him again after he left. All I had to do was get through the last few weeks of school. Thankfully, I made it through those last few weeks of torture, of not having friends, of not having freedom. He packed all of his stuff and took off for another state. Once he made it, I sent him one final text saying we were over. I wasn't coming to be with him and that I hoped I would never see him again. I turned off my phone, went to the provider and changed my number the very same day. Oh, the very next day. I wound up moving back to my small town after I finished, finished college two years later. I was back with the man who stole my heart my senior year of high school, who was now a law enforcement officer. He knew my whole story and he, so he did. So did my bestest friends who we will call Sam. Sam had moved away, but came back for a weekend, and we went out to a couple of bars in town, all two of them. Mm-hmm. Later on that night, Sam and I were dancing, and out of nowhere, I thought I saw twat waffle. She immediately asked if I was okay and I and said that I had turned ghostly white. I told her it was nothing. I thought it was him, but I had moved, but he had moved and virtually had no reason to come back. Five minutes later, I saw him at the bar ordering drinks. I apologized and told Sam we had to leave. That was the only time I've seen him since I ended things. I left before there could be any sort of contact. After seeing him, I obtained my concealed carry license, and I have a 9mm with me at all times. Just in case. I even have it... I even sleep with it next to my bed. Get yourself a 1911, sweetie. <laughs> if you're gonna shoot a man, let the exit hole be real big.
1: Real nice.
0: Real big, Clark. Real nice. <laughs> I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with a nine. 19- Nothing wrong with a 9 millimeter. No. But, you know, since girls like to, you know, leave a mark. When we do. Like you do. Like you do. Get a 1911. I have him blocked on all social media. I have now married the law enforcement officer and I am completely safe and happy. It took me a while of flinching whenever he would try to brush my hair out of out of my face and bursting into tears and apologizing profusely when he raised his voice, even in the slightest, like him yelling up the stairs, asking where I put the broom Mm. and a whole lot of patience from him to get here. But here's the scariest part of this whole story. I can't see him on social media, but my sister can. One night we got curious and found him on Facebook. He's now engaged to a woman who looks a lot like me. And get this, he is also a law enforcement officer.
1: What the fuck?
0: I pray every day that he actually has changed and his fiance is safe. I also pray for those whose lives he has vowed to protect and serve. Praying that he will actually do that for them since he did not do that for me. Again, I'm sorry that this was so long and drawn out. I appreciate having the platform for me to get the fullest of the story out. Stay out of chalk lines. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye.
0: Okay, bye. No, that's not a goodbye. It's just her, not goodbye. Goodbye. No, a her goodbye. That's
1: not saying goodbye. No, that's her
0: goodbye. She Stay out of chalk lines. Nope. Nope. I'm sorry. You don't get to tell me. And this is really unfortunate because I more than once... Like, I sit here on the other side of this microphone, like, when we're doing these stories, and I'm like, nah, bitch won't tell me fuck all or nothing. I let plenty of bitches. Mm -hmm. It's me. I'm bitches.
1: They are so sneaky about the way they do it. Like she said when when she was like, I didn't realize that he was telling me not to do because it was so we could spend more time together. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're sneaky motherfuckers. I've had, I would say, bar none, the
0: most manipulative, abusive person that I've dated ever. Did it in such a way that I thought. Like I didn't see it. Until I did. <laughs> but I thought it was just him being sweet. Mm-hmm. That's the most fucked up shit right there.
1: This story reminds me of my ex-husband minus the whole knocking her across the room and headbutting And like luckily I never got that far. But all the other shit. Like. Why would you acknowledge another male in my presence? Mm -hmm. But they do it so they have a way of sneaking it, you know, like gradually. It's not like one day or it's not like it starts like that at the beginning of a relationship. Right. They start out sweet and nice and everything. And then it just kind of gradually goes in a direction. Like she said, pretty much. All right. The next story says, I have wrestled with sending this for a while, writing it and then deleting it because I didn't, I didn't think my story mattered or that I was even a survivor of domestic violence. I, this is me talking, not the story. I understand that, but always, you always get your story out or at least, you know, nobody's story is, what are the words I'm trying to say? I don't know. Nobody's story is unimportant or, you know, you know what I'm trying to say here. That was until I went to my first OB appointment this past week and the doctors asked me if I had ever been a victim of domestic violence. And I said, no, that was when my mother who came with me said, yes, her ex-husband was verbally abusive the entire relationship. That was the point where I started thinking about it really hard. And I found it was amazing how much I had blocked out. Fucking, I feel you girl. My ex-husband, let's call him T, was diagnosed with a form of bipolar I had never heard of called hyperbipolar. When he would take his meds, he was the man I married. He would help me with our daughter, who was three months old, when he was diagnosed. Shortly after, he stopped taking his meds, and that was when the cheating started. He would consistently tell me and mutual friends that I was worthless and fat and ugly. Over the course of our three-year marriage, he had four instances where he was put into a mental facility. Each time, he would come out and be better, better for a while, and then it would all start again. The last time I let him control me was November of 2017. We had gotten into an argument over him not taking his meds. Our daughter, who was 22 months old at the time, got upset because she didn't like it when we would argue, obviously. He yelled at her and told her to shut up. She was 22 months old.
0: Hey, I don't know if you know this, that's when they're like figuring out how to put like the conjunction of words and thoughts together and make fucking sentences. They Mm -hmm. need to talk.
1: Yes. This is not the time for them to shut up. We need to. Plus it's all the, that's like,
0: that's like the cutest time. You tell them to shut the fuck up when they're like 15, dude. Mm hmm. Just saying.
1: Yeah. I immediately picked her up and went to the bathroom and locked the door. He immediately started banging on the bathroom door, yelling and cussing, telling me to give him his daughter. And how worthless of a mother I was, even though I had always been the one to work and take care of her. It got so bad that my sister was in the next room on the phone with my parents, who could hear him yelling over the phone. Oh, wow. To make an already long story short, he left that night. We tried to make it work again with him living an hour away. Then one night I asked him why he wasn't helping us find a house in the town he was in now, and he told me that the only reason he was still with me is because he didn't want to go to jail for child support. I went the next day and filed for divorce. He signed over full custody of my daughter, who was with me. God. Oh, sorry. He signed over full custody of my daughter to me with no fight at all. Shortly after that, I met the amazing man I'm engaged to now. My daughter calls him daddy, not her biological dad. T barely calls her and hasn't been to see her since July of this year. This email was sent in December of 2018. Just to put that in perspective. he still, even though the divorce is final and I'm finally read of him, tries to control me. I have more stories about T's crazy ass culty family, but that's a whole nother email. This one is long enough, which it really wasn't that long.
0: It really was not.
1: No, I just had to get this off my chest. Pregnancy insomnia is no joke. Love you, girls. Y'all are definitely an inspiration to me. Have a great night and stay out of chalk lines. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more that goes in that story. Oh but, yeah, but fuck, it still sucks like that. It way sucks, shit. but thats like
0: she, she. I feel like that was the fucking PG thirteen
1: version, right? And I bet that as she wrote it. A lot of things surfaced as well. That
0: was one of the reasons
1: while I was in treatment that they were
0: like, they being the professionals, were like, you really need to keep a journal. You really need to keep a journal. Like, whatever thoughts start spilling out of your brain, keep a fucking journal. And then I did. And some of the, some of the shit that, like, I didn't like it. Like, I'd start writing and things would.
1: Yeah, i them like, I, I don't know, man. Yeah. This, this doesn't feel like a good plan. I told my therapist I wasn't ready. (laughs) I'm not ready to keep a journal. I don't really want to think about that shit right now. No, thanks. Good. Give it a minute. Let's just deal with this surface shit first before we dive deep. (laughs) You
0: gotta fucking crawl before you can walk. Uh, Yep. Just saying. Ready? I don't share this story lightly. I know once I put it here, I cannot take it back. I do not tell it because there are family and people. There are familiar people and friends and family we share who do not know. The internet is a shifty place. Bitch, you ain't kidding. Oof. And I will most likely regret putting this here later, but it's the truth. And you should never be able to, you should never be afraid to tell your truth, right? Before I was born, my father had a falling out with his family. He was one of five siblings. I have one other aunt in particular. I wouldn't know if I had to do CPR on her. My dad was always open, wasn't always open about his childhood. It was difficult, and that's the nicest thing I can say, and that isn't my story to tell. When I was five, my father decide, decided again to have a relationship with his parents and one of his three sisters. She had a son quite a few years older than myself. Everyone called him the boy. That's kind of fucked up, because that's what I call my boy. hmm Hey, boy. Bowie. As he was one of the only... <clears throat> As Okay, everyone called him the boy, as, as he was the only one of the four cousins who spoke at the time. He began to sexually abuse me and raped me until I was 14. Oh, God damn it! I know, I don't like He it. told me if I didn't comply, he would go after my younger sister. He explained that if I told anybody, it would leave my father without his reunited family, the only family he had. It would be my fault that he no longer had anyone. We were always together. Family trips, holidays, weekends, camping, outdoor outdoors were big in our family until the summers came and I was able to find refuge at my grandparents' farm. My mother's parents until I was 11. My grandfather died and they sold the farm and then I had nowhere safe to go. When I turned 14, the last time he assaulted me, I remember looking past him in the window of the room out to the bright security light of my neighbor's house. And there I found solace to be away like a fairy in the light. He never approached me again. I didn't tell anybody what happened until I married my husband when I was 26. He told... He sat with me while I told my parents. I found out after my confession to them that my abuser had gone after my little sisters anyway when when my parents were able to ask her. He told her the same thing that he had told me. We tried to save each other. I never told anybody and I sat... I never sat with a therapist. He worked at one time for another facility within the area where I work and would lead dead Robins on my windshield. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. That's. Hey, man. Ah, you bastard. Yeah. It happened for years until my husband would drive and drop me off or my work schedule would change and I couldn't have proved it but I knew it was him I knew better and should have told somebody he was doing it but I'd I'd sung my tale and my parents severed all contact with my aunt and her husband and all the other cousins and with him my aunt died a few years ago and my older cousin my older cousin his sister who sometimes needs extra help and my uncle reached out to ask for help with arrangements I told my parents it would be the last thing I did for my cousin as she needed help. My uncle was a little lost, and my abuser was nowhere... was no help to anyone but himself. I made sure to never go out... to go without my husband, and I had little to no contact with my uncle or the other cousins since. Once my husband saw him working... Once, my husband saw him while we were... Fuck me. While we were driving. I had to physically yank the steering wheel in the opposite direction he'd started driving in. I still... I still... Do not like the dark. There are songs I cannot listen to. I do not enjoy camping. I do not like going to the lake anymore. I do not trust people. I do not let my children go anywhere, especially with, or excuse me, even with family. These incidents led to a lifetime of lost time and food addiction. This is where my story is the precursor to my adult life that I went into... That went into what should have been the happiest times of my life. I met my husband after talking for a time online. We met on a Thursday. He proposed that following Sunday. I said yes. And after 11 months, we were married. When we came home from our honeymoon, I'd brought back the greatest of souvenirs. Souvenirs. I was pregnant with our first daughter. I now weighed around 320 pounds. I was advised due to my morbid obesity that I was at high risk and needed a specialist. I complied and went to see the doctor in a practice that in an area was supposed to be considered the right hand of God. There were several inconsistencies in my pregnancy. I wasn't testated. Ta- <sighs> That's tested and gestational in. Now we do testational.
1: <laughs> I like it.
0: Do you love it? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Testational.
0: Testational. I wasn't tested for
1: <laughs> I'm so sorry. Testational diabetes.
0: Testational. All right. Let's do this again. There were several inconsistencies with my pregnancy. I wasn't. <laughs> oh my I wasn't god.
1: Testational.
0: Sensational testational. Oh man. Testational. What the fuck? All right. Hold on. I wasn't tested <laughs> for gestational diabetes. Can you say that, please?
1: I wasn't tested for gestational <laughs> diabetes. <laughs> There was, that is a rough sentence. There were several inconsistencies in my pregnancy. I wasn't tested for gestational <laughs> diabetes. I feel like there's several inconsistencies in my brain right now. There's, in yes. I'm so incredibly sorry. You because know, I
0: know, I know who wrote this and I'm really fucked up that like, I'm laughing
1: right now. Well, we're not laughing at the story. We're I laughing know. at the incability. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make up words, Okay. Incapability to say tested for and diabetes.
0: I'm just like Jesus Christ. All right, <laughs> let me get this out. I wasn't tested for gestational diabetes. I had a few
1: ultrasounds.
0: I got it out.
1: You did it. You done it. And then I was waiting for you to sneeze. I'm like. Keep going. Keep it going. I
0: had a few ultrasounds, but was told due to my morbid obesity, they couldn't get a good look at the baby. And one tech went so far as to tell me she couldn't imagine the doctor being comfortable with my pregnancy. That's a whole nother story. My due date was July 28th. In the beginning of the month, we had a grease fire in my kitchen. At 37 weeks, I suffered third degree burns to my left foot and ankle. I was sent to the ER. They thought I might lose my little toe. Ah. My gyno called. They saw no reason for me to be seen by them at all. It was never a red flag and nor did it raise one. They never addressed it at all. At all. I was bound to the couch. I had to sleep downstairs because it was too painful to climb up too painful to climb up to my bed. I had to use a porta potty in my living room. Still, they never addressed it when I visited. Um, and following that that visit, the aide said that she would be fine. My baby's due date came, and I woke up knowing my parents were coming for breakfast. I woke up and, being three weeks down the road, was still healing, but was healing but slowly. I could now get around a little better with a walker. I felt no movement all day from the baby, and called my mother. When they got to the house, they called the doctor and they advised me to come into the emergency room. I went in. Six hours after seeing all of the med students, I begged someone if I could eat. I hadn't eaten all day. I finally saw the doctor in the practice. I was now on an emergency C-section. A med student anesthesiologist came in and was advised I had eaten. She went to all the anesthesiologists on duty and he came in to tell me, I don't know who the fuck told you to eat, but you will most likely aspirate and die on the table.
1: Oh my god!
0: So there was that. I was terrified. My husband, who was who was at the time tipping the scales at four hundred pounds and six foot five, was about to lose his shit. I looked at him and told him everything would be all right. Whatever happens was meant to be, and it would be all right. They led me away to surgery. What I remember is being awake, being asleep, and a bright light, and my grandparents waving to me from the end of a gravel driveway. I woke up to nurses, doctors screaming my name at me and for me to wake up when i came to i was confused i didn't have my glasses i started asking questions about my baby where was she and how was she no one would answer me i fell back asleep when i woke up my best friend was practically in bed with me she was pressed nose to nose and i asked her what happened did she get to see my baby was my mother also in the room i I asked her, did they let you hold her? Before she could answer, a nurse came in reminding me of the Kool-Aid man bursting through a wall, screaming that the baby was a NICU and had aspirated. She was on a ventilator. They didn't think she would live through the night. I was devastated. Where was my husband and what was going on? What I'd learned later is he'd been in the waiting room, typical, chairs bolted to the wall, TV mounted upright, bathroom in the corner off to the side. There was another man there waiting, and my husband was with his brother and sister. When they came in to tell me I'd flatlined, but I'd been resuscitated, and our daughter was stillborn, excuse me, resuscitated, aspirated again, and on a vent, he cracked. My husband... Ooh, that poor man. Uh-huh. My sister said it was as if the Hulk had come to life. He pitched the table at the mounted wall tv the other man in the room ran away my sister got up and ran into the hallway and shut the door in front of it my brother-in-law who had been in the bathroom locked the door and waited while my husband proceeded to destroy the room he tore all of the chairs out of the wall and pulled the tv down the man who left had attempted to get security my sister told them for their safety not to go in they told her to open the door and when she did they slammed it shut again it was a nightmare once i left recovery i was given few details about what was going on the baby was metastasized. She weighed almost 13 pounds. They hadn't cut me large enough and had to drop back in and cut me again. She'd suffered meconium aspiration. They likely, oh, they determined most likely when I suffered the burn, she'd released her first bowel movement soon after and sloshed around in her own poop, breathing the tar like substance into her underdeveloped lungs and was slowly suffocating. Technically, babies don't suffocate. They drown. Did you know that? Me either. Aspiration. You learn something new every day. While I was in a separate room away from the maternity ward, my husband refused to leave me. My parents were constantly with us while we waited to know her fate. A med student came in and we spoke one morning. My mother asked her if it would be possible to see a burn specialist and have my foot professionally cleaned. The med student replied, well, you just want all the attention, don't you? Oh, bitch. Uh, oh, no. hunty. This is where I, f- I would fucking jump down a throat and back out again. It didn't occur to me that that was a horrible statement until my, my my mother launched herself at her. Fuck yeah. My father caught her by the belt loop. Fuck off, dad. Let her get her. I was able to see my daughter the next morning. It was a strange thing to see her big, pudgy, seemingly healthy body in an incubator. She was on a vent with an adult diaper not closed, laying over her. They didn't have diapers large enough in the NICU to fit her. I was advised she was. I was advised that she was heavily sedated. She would be lethargic. When they wheeled me in, I looked down and called her name. She immediately rolled almost her entire body over. There was no lethargy. She knew me as I knew her. She looked at me. I told her now. How beautiful and perfect she was. I told her she was a fighter and no one would be upset if she had to go. Yeah. That we loved her. She was amazing and I thanked her for choosing me. I was never able to hold her while she was alive. She died in my husband's arms a few hours later. She'd aspirated again and they confirmed that there was no brain activity. For a while, I was jealous he'd been able to hold her while she while she died. But I realized I held her for nine months. I couldn't begrudge him this small thing. They brought her to us afterwards to hold. I was able to undress her and kiss her and pass her around to the family to hold and ooh and awe ah over. We took pictures. They took her and asked if they wanted if they wanted us to do an autopsy. I called a close friend who was a medical examiner at the time, who encouraged us to let them in case there was a genetic issue for later. We agreed, and I regretted it. They claimed it was my morbid obesity, not my misdiagnosis of gestational diabetes to be the cause. Guilt and depression ballooned my weight to over 428 pounds at its highest down the road. They kept me for what I and my family thought was an unusual amount of time in the hospital. I was assigned a nurse over the period of time who came in one morning to check me and asked how I was. She leaned on my bed, and then I looked onto her knees and sobbed. I couldn't understand what had happened. When she was able to gather herself, she could only answer me this. What, what does it matter how I am? How can you keep asking me? It doesn't matter. And I held her hand and told her she was ridiculous. Of course she mattered. She revealed to me that she was a psych ward nurse. They had, they had specially assigned them to mothers who lose babies. We'd had no idea. They put a sign on the outside door of my room to let staff know my daughter had died, a rose with a teardrop. Still the staff came in and asked me questions as if she were alive. My parents fielded the questions. The nurse sat with the nurse sat with me and we talked about how the last few days she'd go home and garden for a few hours and how her husband knew something was wrong. She explained it and gave she explained it gave her solace. She was having a hard time understanding how I could ask staff anything about their lives and not be stricken. I told her I was, but you shouldn't be, but shouldn't you be kind to everyone going through difficult days? You never know another person's journey. I will admit there is a large time, a large amount of lost time for me. Memories I have blocked from large portions of that time and chunks of my childhood. It also seemed for about six months after she died that it was July. And then also I had a strange experience with a rabbit. That's another story in itself. I have to go back sometimes and ask my best friend about what happened because I don't remember things. A lot of crazy things. I do remember her at the funeral, asking her if I looked crazy. I will ask my husband, but he can't go back there some days. He tells me not to go back. My best friend is my roadmap my one true north my parents too my father was going through some horrible things at work personally at the same time and i never knew until later there were other things that occurred that i could not mention but what i've said here was the were the important details for me a few years ago while at while at work i had lunch with a doctor friend who worked on my worked on the psych unit we talked about the union and the matters of people being laid off At the time, we were fighting for our jobs. We got into some personal things, and I told her a few things that were going on with me. Things that had happened lately. She looked up at me and said, you've never been to therapy? And I told her no. She said, you don't even realize you have PTSD. And I laughed out loud. Hard. I said, no, no. PTSD isn't what I have. That's for people who have been through things like combat. People who have fought to survive unthinkable things. That would make their issues less. That's not what's wrong with me. And she looked at me square in the face and said, you've been to hell and back. You've been in war. And you didn't even know what was going on.
1: Oh, sad. I know. This whole thing is. Jesus. I still disagree.
0: Some days, my days are harder than others. Some days, I look at my littlest one and cry because he's so good, so bright, so true. I wonder what horrible things will. I wonder what horrible things he will take from me. My daughter, too. Who will hurt her and who will take advantage of her? Some days I'm tempted not to let either of them go to school or play sports, to leave the house. But what kind of life is that for them? Not to live, not to see things, not to travel? travel? It's no life. We could all be swept away at any point in time. You need to tell people that you care for them. That you love them. Right now, these last few years have been especially hard. Financially, we're going through a patch that has been our hardest that way, money-wise. My husband had some medical issues, and then he was let go from his job. We were going to have to file bankruptcy and foreclosure. A friend asked me how it was going, how it was all going, and I told her, and she said that she wasn't sure with the holidays and life stress that she'd be so normal. And I told her one word, perspective. Put everything I've been through, and then this, what's going on now? It's just money. Everything else is going to be okay. I am who I am because of what happened to me. And I am okay some days, and other days are harder. But I'm here, and I'll keep going. Thank you for letting me share my story. It felt cathartic to have shared it. I know it's in safe hands. It can be shared. If you need me, you can always call on me or to talk to me.
1: Um, This person that wrote this story... She is really good to everybody else. If anybody else is having problems, she's always there for them. She's a good, she's a good egg. Well, that was our last story in our survivor story for this time. We won't go so long without doing one next time. We have a lot to put together, like we said. And like this story was sent to us in December of 2018 as well. Like that's how long we have not been telling our stories. Anyway,
0: how about just take care of each other and always be there to listen and stay stay out of chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye.